things that can take you back to a place or moment uh, in your life. And so maybe it's a smell that, you know what, there is something that maybe it's a flowery smell. Maybe there's something just of the morning. Maybe something stinks and it takes you back to this one moment that you just cannot forget. And so in those moments, you remember what it was like in that moment. Like for me, I remember getting on the tram at Worlds of Fun when I was a little kid. And there was just a distinct smell that always got me excited because I knew that we were almost in the park. And so it was one of those things that every year, get out of the car and into the tram and, oh, I loved the smell. And so maybe you have things like that, or maybe there's a sound. Maybe it's just a soft sound. And there's something about it that you pick that out and you know uh, a moment before. Maybe there's a really loud sound or maybe it's something that it's a machine or an animal or something. And you're just like, whoa, like I, I'm now home or I'm now at this place. Or maybe it's a taste that something is just so sweet. Like, oh, I remember the one time that I had something like this. Or maybe it's completely sour and it just gives you that ugly face for a moment because it's terrible. But maybe it's just the right combination of everything and it's just... You know what? Grandma used to make something like this. Or maybe there are sights, and so it's a picture or a monument. Maybe there's even just a facial expression. And again, it takes you back to that memory of whatever moment in time that was. And I'm interested because sometimes we play these word association games where people say, hey, I'm going to tell you a word and then tell me what comes to your mind. And I'd be interested to find out like how many of those are things that happen in our life. Like there's a word and oh, it takes me back to this moment. Or how many times is a word simply something that I've seen or something that I've heard and so my mind connects with that instead. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to tell you five words or phrases and I want you to tell someone next to you what comes to your mind with each one. Now, if you're sitting by yourself, you can either just think it to yourself or you can make a new friend. Either way is good. But I want you to think about this. And, and I will tell you right off the bat that these five phrases are somewhat similar. So it'll be interesting to even see if the same things pops up into your mind or if a little bit of things that are different. Now, I am only going to give you like 30 seconds, 40 seconds each time because otherwise it's awkward for me just standing up here while you're talking. And so I don't want that. But just give you the heads up. What comes to your mind when I say these words? All right. So the first phrase is save me. Save me. What comes to your mind when you hear the word save me? There you go. All right, here's the second phrase. Told you not a long time. The word, the words cry out. Cry out. What come to your mind? You can still tell someone. What comes to your mind with cry out? I'd be interested to know if anyone like has an infant and they were like crying out in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, I can't think of anything else right now, but be interesting to know. Okay, the next words, deliver me, deliver me. We don't really use the word deliver a whole lot, but deliver me. What comes to your mind?
All right, fourth word. The word's just help. Help. What comes to your mind? You're right, Corey. You are right. All right, final word. Rescue. Rescue. I think it'd be fun to be able to just to put everyone's like things that popped into their mind, see how many things are similar and whatnot. But there is no shortage of imagery that comes from those five phrases. And there's a lot of times that we can't do something in life on our own. Like whether we want to or not, there are moments that we can't do something on our own and we need help. And sometimes the situation is actually dire enough that we cry out for that help and we're ready for anyone. It doesn't matter who it is, but we are ready for anyone to come and step in in our moment of need. And maybe the situation isn't even us, but it's someone else that we know is in that situation. They need some help. Well, this morning I want you to think about the life of David. Like David was born to a large family. He was the youngest son in his family. Some of you don't have to imagine very hard what that would be like. But I want you to think that, okay, in the mornings, all the way through the afternoons, he is out watching the flocks. Like he is watching over the sheep, protecting them from any animals that would come and attack. And one day, uh, people are sent to bring him in, and he is told that someday you are going to be king. He hears this message, and then he continues to go back out watching over the flock. And years go by. We don't know how many. But then the enemy, the Philistines, they are coming to attack Israel. Except instead of just completely attacking, they are ready for this battle for their champion versus whoever Israel's champion is. And for 40 days, Goliath continues just to yell and mock Israel and make fun of the, the Jewish God saying, well, why isn't he stepping up in this moment? To the point that finally David says, yeah, someone needs to take care of this person. And so he goes to the king and says, I can do it. He goes and kills Goliath and then he is given such honor. Honor by people who know him, honor by people who don't, and they begin to sing his praises. Well, as he continues to grow, he, he becomes friends with the king's son, with Jonathan, so much so that King Saul becomes scared. And not because of the friendship, but he knows that God has called David to be the next king, and that means it's not going to be his son. And so he actually attempts to kill David multiple times, which I don't know how many times it would take me till I finally got out of there. But David finally gets out of there after like three or four times of having the spear thrown at him. He runs for his life, which then continues over years because Saul chases him. And so then eventually he becomes king. After years on the run, he becomes king. There are so many things that go well while he is king. But later, much later, one of his sons actually overthrows him to become king. And so David again runs so that his life is spared. And yet after a certain amount of time, he gets his position back and grows old and even dies as a king. And David pins many of the psalms that we have recorded. 
And in the one that we're looking at today, we don't know at what point in his life he writes it. There are some of them we know because it will say right after this event or right after this event, but we don't know this one. But in the psalm that we're looking at, David cries out to God and he says, why is this going on? Like, Will you please save me? Will you rescue me? Will you help? Will you deliver me? He said, and as you are saving me, I will praise you. I will give you praise. And there is a battle of trust and yet this distress that is weighing upon him that is coinciding with one another. And I wonder, have you ever been in one of those spots? One of those moments where you're saying, I need saved. Like, I need help. Whatever word you use. And you end up saying, I'm just crying out to God. Will you be the one to step in where I cannot fight for myself? And I want you to hear part of David's words this morning summarized from the message before we actually read them in a bit. I want you to listen to the anguish that he writes of, and maybe you can connect with him. And yet amongst the trials that he's going through, he knows that God is faithful. He knows that God is a firm foundation that he can place his trust in. And so simply listen to these words from the message. It says, God, God, why did you dump me miles from nowhere, doubled up with pain? I call to God all day long, but no answer, nothing. I keep at it all night, tossing and turning. Are you indifferent above it all? We know you were there for our parents. They cried out for your help and you gave it. And here I am, a nothing. Everyone pokes fun at me. They make faces at me. They shake their heads. Well, since God likes him so much, let him help him. And to think, when I left the womb, you cradled me. Since the moment of birth, you've been my God. And then you moved far away, and trouble moved in next door. I need a neighbor. Herds of bulls come at me, the raging bulls stampede, horns lowered, nostrils flaring, like a herd of buffalo on the move. And I'm a bucket kicked over and spilled. Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My head is a blob of melted wax in my gut. I'm as dry as a bone, my tongue black and swollen. They have laid out for me burial in the dirt. And now packs of wild dogs come at me. Thugs gang up on me. They pin me down hand and foot. They lock me in a cage, stared at by every passerby. They take my wallet and my shirt off my back, and then they throw dice for my clothes. You, God, don't put off my rescue. Hurry and help me. Don't let them cut my throat. Don't let these mongrels devour me. If you don't show up soon, I'm done for. I'm gored by the bulls. I'm meat for the lions. And even as I said those paraphrased words, can you hear the trust versus the struggle. Can you feel the very real pain and the questions towards God? And yet in this moment, he continues to cry out to him. Within these words, he's saying, God, you feel so far away. Like it hasn't always been that way, but that's how I'm currently feeling at this exact moment. And why are you not stop, stepping in like you did with our ancestors? Like I read of time and time and time again that you help them out. And yet right now, where are you? 
David's trying his hardest to live his life pleasing to God, this life that is full of love and obedience. And yet people around him just continue to throw insults at him. Like They even make fun of his relationship with God, and he feels like his enemies are closing in on him, and he has no energy, no strength, and even no desire. So he cries out for God to help, to be rescuing him, to deliver him, to save him. He says, God, you are the one that can save me. The struggle along with trust. And then in the final third of the psalm that I didn't summarize yet, David gives God lots of praise. He says, not only will I praise you, but all who follow after you will praise you. For you have not turned away from me, but you have listened to my cry. And in the end, all will kneel before you. All will bow before you, and they will declare you as king. Now, I don't know what spots in life up to this point like you've needed saved. I don't know what moments right now that maybe you need help because you just can't do it yourself. Or maybe even instances in the future where you will cry out. But I'm sure all of us have experienced the need for rescuing in some degree. And the great news is that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. He is the one that can save. As we're looking at the character of God in the Psalms, we see that over and over, that He is the one who saves in this chapter. He is the one that does not turn His head from us, even if our feelings are telling us that He has. He is the one who is powerful enough to hold off the enemy and all of His followers. He is the one who provides strength for the weary. He is the one who put on flesh to save mankind. And through dying on a cross, He came to deliver us from the biggest problem that we had. Separation, being lost, caught in darkness, and dead. So Jesus was, and Jesus is the Savior that we all need. Now understand this, in regards to Jesus, there's no different levels of need within this room, and the city, the state, the nation, the world. Like every single person has sinned and is separated from God. Oh, but through the cross, reconciliation is possible. A bridge has been built, or a light has appeared in the darkness, and life has been given. And so David writes this psalm with cries of anguish and grief from a godly sufferer who has not been delivered from his trials and suffering yet. But as I mentioned last week, Even though the Psalms are written in a different form than the letters or the Gospels or or the prophets, they are equally inspired by God. And this Psalm is one that absolutely proves that. You see, I purposely put off reading this Psalm word for word until this point of the sermon. Why? Because as we've seen David cry out to God to be the one who saves him, it's also a picture of what Jesus will go through on the cross to eternally save us. In fact, chapter 22 is often called the Psalm of the Cross. In my Bible, I have written the name Jesus right next to the heading of Psalm 22. I wrote it in there so that I'll never forget that. If you don't have your Bibles open, go ahead and turn to chapter 22 right now. And so we're going to read some of these sections, and I'm also going to stop and point out some cross-references of what the gospel writers recorded for us 
about Jesus when he was on the cross. And hopefully, you'll never be able to read Psalm 22 again without thinking about Jesus. And so, Psalm 22, we're just going to read verse 1 here to begin it all. David writes this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Man, that first sentence seems pretty uh, familiar to me. In fact, when I turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, this is what it says. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I wonder, how many of you have heard this message that at that moment when Jesus was dying on the cross, God turned his back on Jesus? You see, because God can't be around sin, this moment he turns his back upon his son as he was taking the sin of the world. We even sing songs that say that. But let me expand your thinking for a moment, or maybe even longer than that. If God can't be close to sin, then how is it he walks in the garden with Adam and Eve after they've sinned? If God can't be close to sin, how does he pass by Moses on the mountain to where his face is shining afterwards? If God can't be in the presence of sin, how is Satan somehow in the throne room, in the presence of God, in the book of Job? If God can't be around sin, well, Jesus is in the presence of sinners while he's walking this earth. The Holy Spirit lives inside of each one of us, even though we still sin. And I think I've read somewhere that God's omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times. Hmm. So some may tell you, even like my own study Bible in the notes at the bottom, that Jesus felt this separation from God because now he's carrying on the sin of the world. Now, I can't fully argue against that. Like, I have no idea what that would feel like. Like, all the sin of the world for all time in one moment. But even in the Garden of Eden, when sin created a separation between Adam and Eve and God, it didn't cause God to leave them. And so I believe that even in this moment, that maybe Jesus is feeling alone, or maybe at least a degree of separation, he is not saying that, God, you have turned your back on me, or that you have left me. Instead, I believe he's actually saying the opposite. You see, in such an oral culture, when Jewish people heard like the first line of a psalm or of a story, they knew that it was in reference to that. And so here they're hearing Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And their mind would immediately come back to Psalm 22. Kind of like when we have um, movie lyrics or even song lyrics. Sometimes it takes you back to the whole song or the whole movie. And so the Jews, they may, maybe didn't understand the significance that Jesus was fulfilling these words at that exact moment. But through the act of the cross... Jesus is accomplishing the words of Psalm 22, and I believe that's what Jesus is actually pointing out on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so let's keep reading some of those words that he is fulfilling. Let's jump down to verse 6. Verses 6 through 8 say this, but I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. So those words, despised, scorned, mocked. Like Jesus definitely went through those things leading up to the cross and while he was upon the cross. 
And then listen to Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 47, or 43. It says this, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. You see, Jesus took on the insults, as Psalm 22 alludes to. But it doesn't stop there. Turn over to verse 14, verses 14 and 15, still in that same chapter. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And so in there, it talks about bones being out of joint. When they would nail someone to the cross, they would stretch their arms really far, and oftentimes one of the shoulders would pop out of socket. Talking about very little strength, Jesus couldn't carry his cross all the way to Calvary. He had been beaten so badly he couldn't do it. And even talking about this mouth that is so dry, listen to John 19, verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. See, Jesus fulfills the words of Psalm 22. Let's go to verse 16 through 18. Here's what it says. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and casting lots for my clothing. So pierced hands and feet. Well, that definitely happened at the crucifixion. In fact, when Jesus raises from the dead and he shows himself to his disciples, he says, would you like to see my hands and my feet? Talks about you can count the number of bones and such. He was beaten so badly when he was flogged that you'd be able to see certain things that are on the inside and just being stretched out upon that cross. Or even Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, that simply says, when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. You see, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he quotes the first verse of this psalm to say, today all of this is being fulfilled and what's really crazy is that David wrote this 1,000 years before Jesus would die on the cross. In fact, he wrote this 400 years before this form of crucifixion was actually invented. The Holy Spirit was definitely leading and speaking through the writing of David. But the psalm doesn't stop at verse 21. In fact, we have verses 22 through 31 that all talk about the praises from David. And then we see how the nations will praise Jesus because of what he did on the cross. The first 21 verses, they show his sufferings. Oh, but the last 10 verses, they show us the glory that will follow. And so let's just read those, starting at verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. 
From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. While the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, says posterity, will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And Jesus will be praised by individuals, by his followers, in fact, verse 24 helps us see that God did not turn his face from Jesus. And one day, just as Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow and he will rule for all eternity. Jesus is the Savior, the Savior that we all need. And I know there are temporary circumstances where we may call out to God, God, right now I need your help. There are these things in the finances that we're trying to work through. Maybe there's a health issue in my family or my friends. There's a test I got to take. I call out to you. Maybe it's as simple as I am trying to raise children the way you want me to. God, will you please help me with this? Maybe there's a difficult project. Maybe there's even just a tragedy that nothing else matters at that moment. And I am crying out to God to help me in this moment. Know that God will not turn his back on you. That He will fight for you, as we sang about just a while ago. And his answers, they won't always be the way you expect. And sometimes they won't even be the way that you want. But you will always be able to look back and realize that I was not alone. In the midst of whatever that was that I was crying out, he was there with me. And even though our life will still be full of those moments where we cry out for help, or even just the simple in the morning, Lord, I need you today, we can know that he has already eternally saved us. He has delivered us from a life of sin and guilt and shame. Or he has helped us by giving us purpose and security in this life that we're living right now. Oh, he has rescued us from this eternity that places us all alone no direction, and no hope, and no joy, and no peace, all apart from him. The fantastic news is that in Psalm 22, that verse 21 is not the end. It's not the end for David, it's not the end for Jesus, and it's not the end for us. There is a cry of victory that follows. Although David felt the struggles, Oh, he praised God victoriously and triumphantly. Though Jesus suffered and died, oh, he conquered that grave. And though we may ache for a little while, the glory that is to come, it vastly outweighs those moments that we endure right now. I want you to think back to that imagery that you had at the beginning when we talked about some of those words of save me or cry out or help or deliver me or rescue. And the Bible says very clearly, that was each one of us. Every single one of us was in that boat where we were stuck in darkness, where we were burdened with sin, where we were unable to do it ourselves, where we were separated from him. 
But, but Jesus left heaven. He came down to be our Savior. He came to give us hope, to give us freedom, to give us forgiveness, and to give us victory. And that's what we get to live in. And today, if you have never experienced that from him, you've been trying to do it all on your own, but today you want this life that only he can give to you, then I encourage you as we're singing this next song to make your way to one of the decision points or to chat with Sam. Man, what does this mean for my life to look completely different? For the rest of us, we are gonna praise the one who has set us free, the one that stepped in to save us when we could not do it ourselves. Praise him that he is our Savior. Let's stand and sing.